Welcome to episode five of After the Night, the Insider Chuck Lagan podcast. I'm Cass Patterson with Jason Sutherland. How are you, Dave? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, well, you, you didn't spend much time at home after the runoff, did you? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, something maybe not everybody knows is that um, every year you kind of, you know, go searching for pro- uh, pots. Do I there? prospects what's with us tonight it took like five tries through the intro uh you know um a lot of guys will go and look for prospects right after the season um is over and to you know kind of replenish their barn and, and refill their barn and, and uh, trying to always build in, you know for the future and stuff like that so um i wasn't the only guy who did it uh, lots of guys uh, uh did it either before me because we weren't the runoff um or, or coming uh, you know now this weekend or whatever and they're going all across the country they're going to you know Kentucky and and uh you know down to turf paradise and and uh, you know all over um you know Winnipeg that's where I am right now guys will be going to Vancouver and, and even in uh, Calgary and Century Downs uh you know there's been horses there in a week too so guys will go all over and uh, that's what I'm doing right now I'm in Winnipeg uh looking for um the next uh, next bunch for the you know 2025 or or whatever it is right so uh, that's kind of the plan right now is just picking up some horses it's kind of like i i guess you could say it's uh our own sort of um wow we really aren't working our brains today um it's our own sort of draft is kind of what it is yeah it's um you know like like we'll from every horse we'll buy, I don't know what the exact um, statistics are, but uh, obviously not every single one of them work out, um, you know, and certainly not every single one is, uh, you know, acceptable to be racing, you know, at the highest levels, you know, of truck wagon racing just because not every single one's that good. So, you know, that's why you're, you're constantly going to buy and then uh, when you do buy them, uh, you know, you kind of cycle through them and, and figure out, you know, which ones you want, which ones you got to cut. And, uh, and you know, by cut, I mean, you know, get rid of. you got to find other places for these horses to go. Um, first place for them to go is always the outriding pen. You're always looking for outriding horses just because, um, you know, outriding horses are old and they're not like a wagon horse. They do do still have to bear weight on their back. Now, obviously, they're not racing. Um, they're just following a wagon, which is, you know, a hundred times uh, different than actually, you know, someone on their back and pushing them to stride and, and to, to be um, first among the pack, obviously. So it's a lot easier than actual racing out riding. But nonetheless, it's still an old horse, still bearing weight, still uh, running around the track. So, um, you know, those out riding horses, you tend to need a lot of them to keep them fresh and to keep them sound and, and keep them healthy and, and keep them, you know, working the same every single night and uh, seeing a lot of those. So that's where a lot of the horses that, that uh, you know, don't make stellar wagon horses go. Um, I'd say about maybe over half for me, um, for sure over half, you know, make it to the wagon and I'll pack them maybe the first year or second year. And then uh, after that, uh, when I'm sure that they're not, you know, not just as kind of a sleeper pick or um, sure that they're really not going to, you know, carry me in the future. Um, I'll start looking for alternate places for them to go. Um, you know, usually the other drivers uh, lower. You know, in in the in the totem pole, sometimes it's higher. You know, sometimes a guy thinks he can get more of the horse than you. Um, so yeah, they, that's just kind of what you do. You cycle through them. Um, you see how they work with your good horses. Uh, you 
you you find things you like about them. You look for potential and, and uh, things like that. And uh, you're basically just trying to. You don't really know what you have for you know three years when you buy a horse. Maybe four, maybe five, maybe two. Um, it just it, you just really don't know for for quite a substantial period of time. So um, yeah, you just you just like through those horses, hang on to them, let some go, and and uh, you just exactly like oh, you can you right. You know, it's funny you talk about that because when you say maybe they go up, the first horse that automatically came to my mind was Rule. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Rule is one of Dayton's horses. He's not my favorite. Sorry, Date. Um, but he, uh, he, you got him back from Mitch, right? Yeah. So, like, th- there's a perfect example of like a typical horse deal. Um, so, coming into the season, uh, I have a bunch of horses. Um, I couldn't use that I was planning on to use right away. Um, one got kicked in the pen, um, had a small cut on his uh, tendon, so I couldn't use him. He was going to be my number one left leader. Um, I, I just forget what happened. One was an 18-year-old horse um, that uh, I brought into the pen, and um, I just forget what happened to him. Couldn't use him for two weeks. I had to use him, you know, I could obviously use him the rest of the season, but I found myself, uh, you know, Long story short, short of left leaders very early on the season. Um, so I needed a left leader for that. Uh, it was a big show in, WP, in WCA at that time. So I needed a left leader for um, WCA. So uh, what I did was you know, I looked around and I knew Mitch had this horse named Boomer, who I now have. Um, and I, you know, started asking Mitch what he wanted for him, you know, to sell or whatever. Um, and then we, as we and Mitch were talking, uh, I, you know, kind of mentioned him that I had some really nice young prospects. Um, one of those horses was Rule. Uh, he was kind of the one I was willing to, to part with. I, you know, I was talking to him about kind of dealing Kenny, um, a horse named Giant that I have, who I, I'm sure you guys will hear about next year. I'm super high on that horse. Um, a horse named Party, um, who you guys I think should be familiar with. And then Rule. Um, and so I ended up trading Rule to Mitch because I could not get Rule to settle down while hooking him. He would throw a rack. He would, like, just a ton of nervous energy. Uh, only when you're hooking him. When, when you started driving, he drove perfect. He just, he just is such a competitive horse and, uh, is, and just loves to compete so much that he's just a, he's a huge pain, uh, or was at least, before you'd go to hook him just because he was so young, too, when I bought him. Um, so I took him to Mitch. Mitch ended up using him for most of the year. He did really well with him. Um, and then uh, he started kind of, or he stopped kind of um, working the way that, that uh, I think those guys, you know, um, like horse to work, stopped kind of running away and charging a lot and that type of thing. Um, so I texted Mitch, and long story short, I got ruled back. And uh, he's a second-year horse or third-year third year horse now. Um, and obviously this was his first year running. I think he helped me run a century um, and helped me run in the runoff too. He's a, he's a, he's a really spectacular little horse. Um, like I said, he loves to go to work, you know, every single time. He's got a huge, huge run. I really, really think that he's going to be, you know, like a, a, a very high caliber horse for me for a lot of years to come. I bought him as a three-year-old uh, from my friend Ardell Saylor, who actually passed away. Um, you know, this year, uh, he was playing out of Winnipeg. So yeah, you know, that's a perfect example. Three years ago, I bought rule and, and, uh, now he's finally first cracking the outfit and, you know, the plan for him is to kind of eventually move him to the lead. I've always thought he's going to be a leader. 
um, either left or right side. That's kind of how, you know, time will tell, obviously. But, uh, yeah, that's just how the, the progression goes of, of new horses. And, and it starts from the morning that you wake up and head to the track and, and uh, ask the trainer what horse are for sale. And uh, to explain why I don't like Roll is because he throws a fit when you actually try to take his tack off of him. He's like, no, I want to run more. It's like, dude, come on. Yeah, he's just he's such a he's such a brash personality. Like he's just he's so pushy and stuff. But that's that's quite honestly what makes him such a nice you know wagon horse. Is just he's all uh, all bulls, not a lot of brain, uh, not yet. Anyways, he's also five years old, which is really really long uh, for a lot of horses. Like they don't really get that you know mental maturity that say like uh, Bogart would have or. Um, uh, Fifty, maybe fifty's uh, a little bit of an older horse that I have. I don't really have any older horses. We've been over that, but um, they get they get a lot, lot calmer. Even those real crazy ones, um, or excitable ones, they get a lot calmer uh, when they get into their you know later teens and, and older ages. And rules, you know, different. They'll calm down a lot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just his personality. But another one who like we've talked about in the past is Nevada, and it's uh, he, he's a smart horse. Like he's not dumb, he's smart, and uh, he's like he's like the ideal horse where he knows when it's race time and he knows when he wants to go. Yeah, horses are are, are largely um, creatures of habitat and they're uh, very instinctual. So uh, you know those two things play in a big big way, especially a horse like Nevada. He's he's relatively the same way. He's super hot. He's brash. He's bullheaded. He, he's uh, you know lets his um, you know, those types of things take over him, his emotions, you know, take over his actions, that type of thing. He'll walk all over you just to, you know, get outside and see what's happening. And, and uh, yeah, he's just that type of horse. Um, a lot of them are, are pretty bright. Uh, there's actually a study that come out. I forget where the study, you know, was out of or, or who did it or whatever. But um, the, there was a study that come out that uh, horses can, um, you know, read human emotions and, and they did it pretty simply by just um showing horses a bunch of human faces and and horses would have different reactions to so different facial expressions on the humans and thus proving that uh they can read and, and obviously all the horses reacted the same um that thus horses can read you know human emotion or facial expressions at, at the very least so horses aren't you know stupid animals they, they do understand you it's just that um they uh, and they understand things that we're doing. It's just that uh, horses like Nevada and Rule, you know, let those um, say instincts or or whatever take over. Which also, is, like I said, what makes them such nice horses on the wagon. Um, you know, in in those particular cases. Well, now I've uh, I, I've let you talk about the horses, but I gotta make you talk about some not so fun stuff. I'm sorry. Um, let's talk about the runoff. Yeah. So. Um, it's kind of funny. We actually tried recording a few days ago, right after the runoff, but um, it didn't. I can't remember. We had some problem with the audio or whatever. So um, we're re-recording now, and I've had a few more days to kind of chew on it, spit on it. Um, it was going well to start. Uh, everybody kind of thought that I'd be a human, like in the runoff. Uh, everyone was, you know, obviously I did really well in Rocky and and. Uh, in Century Downs, um, I couldn't be touched besides the fact that I couldn't be touched with the competition I was running with, which was um, the same or better 
than what was going to be at the runoff, uh, you know, just with the guys I was running with in the Delhi PCA. And, and they couldn't um, keep up with the horses that I, that I had. Um, the only reason I wasn't higher or, or, you know, I was sitting like I would have been fourth in the aggregate after three or four nights. Um, but there was like a, a thing, a, a, a slew of uh, bad luck, which obviously happens. Um, but, it, but it wasn't really, um, you know, affecting me too much. Uh, you know, because I, cause I knew that those types of things wouldn't really happen in the runoff. Like, um, for example, one out guiding horse got loose and got caught in my lead team, um, which obviously slowed me down for the race. And I think I still won the race. Had I had that not happened, obviously I would have been a second or half second faster. I would have been that much higher in the aggregate and, and whatever you guys get it. So I would have been, I was running really tough in the second half of the season is what I'm trying to say. And I was supposed to make the top six and the runoff. That was not the case, obviously. Um, when that actually happened, when the outside horse hit my lead team, uh, that's what happened to Bogart. Is Bogart got a little bit of body sore, and I think he actually might have knocked something out of place, like a like a you know something structurally. Um, I'm guessing something in the in the hip or or maybe the upper spine, or maybe it's just muscles. I'm not really sure. Fortunately, um, he's got all winter to recover, and uh, you know we're going to monitor him to see. Uh, see how things, um, um, you know, unfold for him. Uh, he seems to be better with, uh, exercise and stuff like that. Like, uh, he, he does really, really poorly when he's uh, locked up in the stall and, uh, does way better when he's out on, uh, you know, out in the pen and stuff, he moves way better and he doesn't get so locked up. So, um, I'm kind of thinking that's going to be his, his cure. I think it's going to be pretty simple. Um, I couldn't use him in the runoff, which is largely, um, I would think the reason I didn't make it. I couldn't use him. I couldn't use a couple other horses that I that I really wanted to use. Um, there like was said, some uh, sort of flu that was going through your guys' barns. Yeah, there, there was there was a sickness that that a few horses caught, and like I don't even know what it was. Uh, two of them were were completely different than the others. Um, like one Kodiak got a really really weird infection uh, on his skin. Like I, I don't even know what it was. Um, it's gone now. It's fine. It, it conveniently it actually was away the last day of the runoff, or like the day we we shipped home. I felt that um, it was fine. Uh, and then I took him off the antibiotics that I was giving him, um, but you know, things like that. And then bowl, uh, you know, had, had, uh, something going on with him and his lungs. And it's just so just, you know, a lot of kind of bad luck right before the runoff. And then, um, the first two days were okay. I, I switched up the offset the second day. They went a lot better. I was like second day money. And then the third day I went back to the one barrel and uh, I was trying to explain this on the last one uh, that we deleted, but um, essentially, so all four horses were, were short barrel horses, meaning they were three, four horses. And uh, the lead team was my dad's. So the lead team, uh, they're really, really used to, you know, a quick turnaround because the barrel is half the length on the three, four barrel versus the one, two. So uh, what guys will do is a lot of guys will point, you know, further left. So they kind of get that momentum versus going straight up and straight back and then trying to crank an outfit, you know, that quickly in that short of a distance. So these horses are very, very used to fading or heading left, headed to the top barrel, and then a quick turnaround. So I drove them the first two nights, uh, not completely the same outfits, but but uh, I switched two horses, one on the right lead. Um, and they were, anyways, the left leader and the right leader, they were very used to heading left. So 
Um, I wanted them to be set more towards the, the barrel um, on the third night, like, you know, directly at the barrel. So um, I would be so far left when I would go to turn. And the, the second night, I actually knocked my barrel that stayed up. Um, and I didn't want to repeat that. So I got the lead man to set him right at the barrel. Well, that was uh, a large part of why I, I missed the barrel, which is what happened on the third night, obviously. The other thing was, is that I didn't, being so close or, or so directly set at the barrel, you have to make a very, very quick turn um, back towards the bottom. Like you have to be really, really tight to your barrel. And the reason for that is because if you don't, um, you're going to be out of shape for the bottom. And you'll have to make a really hard left turn to get onto the track and to not hit the guy uh, on two, he's likely going to be there. Um, and if he's not there, obviously you're, you're very lucky if you're making the left turn. Um, but, but a lot of the times he is there, so you can't you know, bank on, on that or running into somebody. So um, you have to make a top or a tight turn if you're going to be set like that coming in the barrels. Now, the next thing I did wrong is uh, trying to make that tight turn. I didn't quite have my line set uh, perfectly coming into the barrels. So what I did is uh, you can watch it on the video and we'll, we'll post it later, is uh, as soon as the horn is about to go, I start to milk uh, my right lead line, which means I would grab slack. So I would tighten the line with my left hand um, from the back of my right. So I would tighten my right lead line. And, uh, you know, I've been, you're not really supposed to, to set your lines or touch your lines, you know, um, going into the barrels. That's kind of a old wagon driver rule, which um, normally I wouldn't do. But honestly, I've been driving in the WCA for a uh, majority of the summer. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've been experimenting a lot and I've been getting away with a lot of things like my whole life, uh, wagon driving. Um, and, you know, with slower outfits and stuff and, uh, and less tense situations and, and outfits I knew I could get away with all this stuff. Um, but uh, I just couldn't get away with, you know, something as, like, as stupid as milking my line uh, on the right lead. And that's the one time that it, that it caught me uh, doing something like this that I know I shouldn't be doing. Um, and, it, and it happened to catch me, you know, in, in probably the biggest uh, show of the season um, just because it, it, it obviously put me in a way, way, way better uh, position for the next season. So um, that's kind of what happened. Uh, I, I, made a, I made an error. It wasn't the horses. You can see I, I milked the line uh, at the wrong time the horn goes, and then um, the, the horse's uh, head turns right, and uh, I did everything. I, I moved both my hands to the left side of my body and, and pulled all the line I could uh, to hold left, but at the, at the same time the horses were confused. Um, they were already pointed at that barrel, so it wasn't like I was had the ability to fade left and, and to check them off. Um, as soon as I released pressure to go back right, um, they they folded and they literally made like a perfect barrel turn <laughs> on like a three four um, or something like a lot shorter barrel turn, um, and I actually made my bottom barrel. Um, so yeah, that that was uh, that. You know, I I should have trusted the horses, um, but I'd never really drove them before, and things weren't really going good. You know, the first two nights, so um, I kind of made a, a, a you know impulse decision that that uh, I've been getting away with for a long time, and it caught me that night. So now, um, not on the WTCA tour, um, where that puts me for next season, I don't know. I originally thought, you know, maybe, you know, I thought about going to CPCA, obviously Calgary spots, uh, thought about 
hopefully, you know, somebody drops out of WPCA career, which a lot of guys, you know, that's, that's, that happens. That type of thing happens um, every year, you know, someone thinks they're going and something happens and they don't go. So that's always a possibility. Um, the third and uh, uh, probably the most likely is that I run with the Westerns again for the first half. And then I know that there's going to be retirement um, in the second half of the season. The guys have already, multiple guys, two guys at least, have already said that they're going to be doing that. Um, so, you know, that's another option, kind of a replay of what happened this season. You know, uh, WPCA will need wagons. I'm the seventh guy uh, from the runoff, so I get the first shot at whatever, um, by the rules, obviously, I get the first shot at whatever spots do open up. So, you know, that might be a, be an opportunity, um, break some horses in the first half of the season, get drive two outfits, that type of thing, and then uh, come back and hopefully have my um, – get figured out you know for the second half of the season so uh, I don't have to go back to those runoffs I don't do well with them that's for sure and uh, I made this joke earlier but uh, I'm going to make it again Dave uh, just because he doesn't have his, um, his his driving figured out of where he's going next year that does not mean that the podcast is being affected the podcast is happening wherever he goes I don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll keep doing the podcast. It's definitely going to be a lot easier if I'm on the WPCA because I can, I'll, I'll be, you know, more up to date with, uh, with what's going on over there, and that's majority of what we'll be covering. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, uh, someone could, could drop out. You know, I might be on the Westies all year. I might, you know, be on neither. Like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's such a long season that, like, you know, at this point in the season, uh, right after it's it's over, um, it's not the time that any wagon drivers should be making decisions. You're so tired, like, you're just sick of it all. It's kind of like a heartbreak thing. Um, you know, I'll start with the MWPCA tour, and then, and then for it to be something as stupid as, as the mistake that I made, and, and it being, you know, nothing but my own fault, it's like, you know, you did all that stuff. You, know, you, you bring train for two and a half months. You paid all that money. You worked all so hard. Your horses did all those things for you. You performed. There were so many good things, bad things uh, that you know that you went through in the season, and then you just tried to end up in a you know <laughs> a, a split second impulse decision that that uh, cost you um, everything next season. So that sucks. Um, but hey, you know. There's a, there's a lot worse um, things going on. So um, still got all the horses, still got all the the um, help in the world, still got everything. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just uh, one year delay um, trying to get, you know, into Calgary. And, you know, Dayton, we haven't talked about this, but I've had a few people who don't want to bug you reached out to me and they said, how's Dayton doing? How's he dealing? And I my, my response always is, he actually amazed me during um, the runoff because I never thought that the first two nights were that bad. Um, I watched both nights and uh, I never saw the issues that you talked about, but every time you came off that track, it was like, okay, focus on tomorrow. There was never like, from what I saw, you never got down on yourself. You never uh, got upset. Like maybe you did when I left the barn, but from everything I saw, you were, always like you were so professional and so optimistic that it was like hey this is actually amazing like I see what people talk about uh on that side because I mean I'm your friend and I've always supported you but I've never seen that side if that makes sense 
Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate that. Like it's and it's kind of more methodical for me, and I think I just like that because I just watched, like I watched Dad and Grandpa and so many other guys that I grew up around like operate in a barn. So it's like I got a lot more experience than I actually do just because I've been around it for so long. So like the first two nights, like everyone, like I was saying that earlier, everyone thought I was a shoe, and everyone thought like, um, oh, you know, he'll you know, obviously being did this, did that, uh, running this tough. Like I you know, I was I was out running guys like like Blaine Flad, for example, was was second uh finishing in the runoff and I outrun him every single time I raced against him in like whatever, twelve twelve times or or, or uh, actually he was in the first heat in century so I didn't directly race against him but um for what I was following I was watching um, the guys that would obviously be in the runoff lane had no chance of making it out uh, in century, so I knew he was going to be there. So um, ipso facto, I was watching Wayne and, and watching the other guys that I'd be running against um, in the runoff and, and, and how I was doing. Right, that that was the plan from day one was go to the runoff um, and make it back for next year for the full year. Um, so I was watching those guys. I was watching Wayne. I was watching Bob and I was watching Josh. Um, Curtis Moran, Kelly Moran, uh, all these guys that, that could, I could potentially be facing uh, through the last couple of shows, and I was all running them all. And, and, I, and other guys uh, who were watching it were, were seeing the same thing. Everyone thought I'd be a few in. Um, but that's just really not how Wagner's going to work or runoffs work. You know, I've been to two runoffs before, and it was probably the same thing. Uh, well, I got dad and ground before since I was 16, 17, whatever I was. And uh, you know, fourth year making it, and uh, it's just runoff. It's 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 um, chuck wagon math doesn't make sense, right? Like you would think because um, I would place this high or or run that tough and stick half a season that that the third show, um, which happens to be the runoff, um, would be you know successful, right? Uh, obviously, um, you would that that would be. The, the logical um, um, choice, but uh, like I said, chuckling math doesn't work out, and things happen. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of knew that the first and second night. Like you know, go, um, I, the first night I was like, okay, that had has to be my worst one, you know, to make it into those top six because there's too many tough wagons. Like two guys that come over were, were Molly and Chance Benzmiller. And uh, so that's two spots gone right there. You can guarantee those guys are making it back. Those guys can hit a barrel a night or whatever, or one night, and they're still going to make it in uh, just because they have the horsepower and they have the experience. You know, that, that really, really pays in a runoff. Um, so, you know, I knew there's only four spots to fight for. I was worried about guys like Cody Fraser who had really, really nice horses. Um, guys like Tremblay, who, you know, actually outrun me all year. Like, let's not forget that. Tremblay outrun me all year on the WCA, and then uh, I go and win Rocky. Um, I placed pretty well in Dawson, and I placed pretty well in, in Century uh, with, you know, guys running into me, you know, two of the nights and the late outrider. Um, two of the nights, you know what I mean? And I, and I still placed, uh, I think I was in the fifth or sixth in, uh, century down. So I don't know what I would have been. I would have been top, at least top 10, uh, had I not had those things. Um, so, you know, Eric Tremblay outruns me, then I run that tough in the WPCA, which is the best, you know, Chuck Wagon Association. Um, you know, so Tremblay is supposed to be in by Chuck Wagon Math, right? Uh, 
you know, he's supposed to be that tough of a wagon. But like I said, it just, it just never, never really makes sense. And nothing ever adds up. But the thing about a runoff is that, you know, I was kind of hinting that on a, on an interview I did with the WPCA is that nobody there is using their own horses. I mean, there was, there was probably four guys there <laughs> that, you know, were, were, I don't know that for a fact. Um, but obviously. None of them would have been Louis Stanley. I know that, but he was using his own. Yeah, right. And and so so there's there's one guy and, and obviously Molly, I'm sure, was using his own and, and maybe chance, I don't know when he's using coach. I you just don't know. But and and I I must be ignorant and saying that was only four were maybe there more Eric Conway was using his own horses, I know that. Um I for sure wasn't. <laughs> I'll tell you that for free right now. And um a lot of guys weren't using their own horses and that's kind of the the thing about a runoff is, is you never know. And it just so happens that, that all the horses, you know, that I could use in the world, a lot of them were were um, not available to use to run off the week after they were, the week before they were, but at the week I needed them and they weren't there. So we kind of had to make do. And, and uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I knew that the first two nights that they, they you know, I had to, had to make some changes, had to do some things. And, and uh, you know, on the third night, it just didn't go so well for me. And on the fourth night, I thought, wow, maybe I'll be able to make it in. All I got to do is I had to beat Kelly Moore by two spots. Or no, three spots. Sorry, and uh, I thought if, you know the second night as well. Is if I could repeat the second night, I could do it. You know, if, if Kelly had just an average run, I could get second day money. He could get fifth, sixth, or whatever. Um, boom, there's my point. So um, thought I could make it that night, and I was still optimistic. And uh, obviously, this was not out. So yeah, that's a long, long-winded uh, conversation explanation on um, kind of how the runoff played out. Um, but uh, yeah, no. I, not a really a big deal. Um, I still got everything in the world, you know. Um, still up super, super fortunate in the, in the world of shock wagon racing. Uh, doesn't doesn't change the plan. Doesn't change the uh, you know uh, forecast. Uh, it doesn't change anything. Um, just a stupid, 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 stupid mistake that I made. And uh, I'm gonna remember that one. I'm not gonna do that twice for any other big runs. That's for sure. Well, uh, there's our recap on Dewberry. Uh, I guess yeah. thank you to the uh, Dewberry Chuckwagon Association for uh, hosting the runoff. Uh, it actually was a pretty decent event all in all. The town of Dewberry came out. They, uh, they're definitely a Chuckwagon town. I'll give them that. Oh, yeah. No, no. Dewberry's a, a super place. They call them the Chuckwagon uh, Castle of the World, which... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go directly against. I'm going to put it on um, record. I believe Grand Prairie is, but uh, I guess that's uh, that should be uh, debated in a later podcast. Maybe we can get Kurt on. He's from Dubuque, from Grand Prairie, so um, we can argue that uh, on that podcast. But here's 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 a portion of my case. It comes out of the Chuckling Capital um, of the world or Alberta. I just forget. It's somewhere in the town hall or whatever. Um, but I think Gampers had way more truck lane drivers and has way more championships. So that's that's my let me have a bigger shuttle too. But but um yeah, nonetheless, not knocking do there. Super, super huge uh, truck wagon community. Um, if it's not Grand Prairie, it's most certainly Dewberry. There's so many guys there that have that have raced wagons and uh, and been really really successful wagon drivers. Um, obviously the Benz Millers, that's that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, there's some guys like uh, Josh, that, that, yeah, Josh Renick and um, Dallas Dick, I think, is from Dewberry. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that, sorry? 
I said, yep, Dallas Dick is from Dewberry. They, they actually yeah. put the names on the poles as you walk down the main street. Yeah, that's another one. That's, that's awesome. So there's a lot of guys from Dewberry, and it's a huge shuffling community. Um, that committee, the, the, yeah, they put on a great show. Darren was working on the track and that type of thing, you know, over in Nolan. So yeah, they, they had it all ready for us. It was a really, really good place to, to have the runoff. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that had to be on a half-mile track, but like I said, that's just things that go into the runoff, and then that, that plays into some guys' strengths, plays into some guys' weaknesses. So um, I don't know, that was a um, good spot to have it, that's for sure. And uh, if we ever get Vern on the uh, podcast, we need to ask him which he prefers, the saddle or the box, because uh, Vern was on a horse all four days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vern was kind of the, the pickup man for the runoff, so um, I'm sure he uh, he prefers the box, because I, I think uh, he's probably talented enough to do both, but uh, um, I guess we can ask him that when he comes on. Um, speaking of guests, uh, we're going to go into part two with Les McIntyre. Uh, we hope you enjoyed part one. Uh, again, I really enjoyed listening to Dayton and Les talk, and I had a couple of uh, good conversations with Les myself in it. Um, uh, we actually talk about uh, me growing up in Chuck Wagon racing a little bit and uh, a joke I told uh, to Jason Glass back here a while ago, so that's kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to go into that, date. Yeah, no, uh, it's good to have left on that for sure. So uh, here's part two. Do you think that having the drivers, um, I guess, out in the community and what I what comes to my mind is back when Jason and Joe Carberry used to be at the GM dealership and as a little girl, mm-hmm. I would always go there uh, during Stampede and that was the highlight of my uh that was the highlight of my stampede. I actually just told Jason here a little while ago, you're not cool anymore because you don't give me donuts. But anyways, um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that would, if we promoted something like that on social media, it would bring it, it would bring those fans out because they're making that connection. They're building that relationship. Do you think that's something that we're missing now? I think you're absolutely right. I think it would. And I think not only will it, spark their interest, but I think it will give us an opportunity to educate the skeptics and especially the young skeptics who are being influenced by people that think they know what's going on in the world of wagon racing, that we are bad for the horse industry, we're bad for horses. I think it would turn that page over and say, look, come and watch us, come and meet us, come in our barn and see how these horses are they all standing there with their heads down and their eyes closed and their ears drooped like a sixth deer in a feedlot? No, they're all full of energy. And they're at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you start hanging trees and taking water and yada yada, them horses are bouncing. Okay, it's getting close to race time. Let's go. So social media, just like it did with you, you got to meet Jason and Joe, and you got to feel a part of it. No different than if you were in a mall and they said that uh, Connor McDavid is at the mall today. Let's go meet him. And you're going to try and go and see the next hockey game. Same thing in this wagon business. Come and meet us. I always remember, I think it was 02 or 03, we took wagons to Las Vegas. Some guys went down there. I was involved heavily in that. I spent a week and a half trying to get a hold of the animal rights people, the SPCA, PETA, all those people. Hard to get a hold of. You can't get a hold of PETA. They can sit on a hilltop and take pot shots at you, but you have no idea who they are, where they are, how to get a hold of them. 
fast forward to the day we actually put on the show, or I should say two days before we put on the show, I invited all these people to our media day. Come down, meet the drivers, go through the barns, yada, yada, yada. We had seven or eight media people or groups there, TV stations, radio stations, nobody. Nobody from any animal rights group, SPCA, Arizona Humane Society, PETA, nobody showed up. So if you want to make this better for everybody, including the horses, come and see what we're doing. Don't hide out there on the hilltop in the bush and take shots at us in the media without having the intestinal fortitude, which is politically correct to what I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> come down and see for yourself. Let us educate you. Don't expose us to the world with your ideas until you know exactly what you're talking about, because I'm sure we could change your mind. It's been said over and over, too, again. Like, uh, I, one that I always remember is Jason Glass went to the paper in High River and said, like, if anybody wants to come uh, see what's going, and this was after some event that happened. I just forget what it was. But, um, and he said, if anybody wants to come see, you know, how the horse are being trained, what's happening, what's going on, uh, just come over to the ranch. And, and, uh, and that's, and it's been said by a bunch of guys. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard uh, anyone, um, you know, talk too much uh, about somebody from the animal rights community um, coming to view the, the barns and the wagons. Like it, it just seemed to, to back right off. Um, I want to just change the pace a little bit. Who were some of the most skilled drivers that you ever saw? And uh, what about guys like uh, I, I mentioned before, Reg Johnstone, you know, he was a great barrel skinner. Um, and guys like Hugh Sinclair, like his horsemanship and the way he could get horses to run, um, you know, always uh, amazed me. And he was one of the guys that, that won Calgary a few times, stuff like that, and always run tough. So who were, the, who were some of the top guys um, that you ever came across? You know, when I first showed up on the scene in the mid-70s, um, Ralph Fagan was probably the calmest, skilled horseman that I ever watched. What made me start with Ralph is I always remember in High River, uh, in those days we guys ran two wagons, um, Ward Willard ran two, Ross ran two. Uh, that was just before I started actually driving, but I always remember... Ross and I being back at that second turn, just off the second turn in that old white barn that used to be there. Ralph was next to us. Your grandpa and Kirk and Dave Lewis were on the track. When you, as you well know, when we watch a team get hooked to go to a race, it takes two, three, four people. Somebody brings out the wheel team and you put them along the pole and you hook them up and you set the lines on that sometimes the driver will jump in the wagon at that point. And then you bring out the lead team and you back them in and you hook everything up and you pass the lines through the rings to the driver and then you go. And this sometimes takes two, three, four people. Ross Nelson and I sat there just before we were to hook our race and Ralph Vegan, by himself, two at a time, brings out two wheel horses, parks them, hooks them, puts his line on his wagon box and they stood there like a pair of fat milk cows and never moved. He went back in the barn he grabbed his lead team all by himself. And Ralph wasn't a big guy. He come out, backed him in, hooked him all up, calmly walked back into his wagon box, and he sat there for probably three minutes. Sorted his lines, and then let's go. And then horses walked off. They walked off. They didn't jump in 16 different directions. They walked away. He went out on the track, won his heat. That's a horseman. That's a wagon yeah. driver. He stands out in my mind. 
uh, in that era. Uh, Dave Lewis was another guy. Next time you're out on the track, don't do it in Rocky Mountain House, Dayton, but next time you're training on the track for your morning run, take a piece of duct tape and tape your left eye shut and make a barrel turn and drive that right. And Dave Lewis had one eye. Yeah. <laughs> your depth perception in wagon racing is very important. No different if you were driving your Peterbilt down the highway at 110 pace. And Dave always impressed me because he was he was amazing in that thing. And then, I mean, your grandpa, of course, uh, an amazing driver. And being a good linesman, arrangement, or handling the lines is one thing. But as you well know in truck wagon racing today, so much strategy. Horsemanship is huge. Having the right horses, finding the right horses. And them old boys, the Bill Greenwoods, um, you know, those guys could go to a racetrack and watch a horse run. And a lot of them old boys could, and your grandpa could do it too. And Ralph Vegan, they bring that horse into the winner's circle, or even if he was second or third in the race, or if he was dead last in the race. I've heard it many times standing there with him. There's a left lead horse, there's a right wheel horse. Never been in a wagon before, but them guys knew what horses would work where by watching it. I think that's and I'm, what, sorry to cut you off there. I think well, I'm, I'm just adding, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's what makes some guys so successful today too. Like some of the top guys, I know Jason's really handy like that and, uh, and chance and stuff like that. Like they can, they can go and only buy six horses, but all six horses turn out. Yeah. You mentioned Reg Johnstone and Reg was cut from a different piece of cardboard too. <laughs> when we talk about the things we do in Calgary today, he set a track record and got in the final heat with the same four horses. Really? The same four horses before they changed the rules. And I mean, he could he could drive things, and Ralph was the same way. They they could drive things that nobody else wanted to drive because they were too much. Yeah. And guys like that, uh, you know, there's so many good guys that have over the years. I didn't know the old flat boys and, and Dick Cosgrave and those guys, but it's hard to compare that era with this era. It's no different than comparing Bobby Hall and Glenn Hall and those kind of guys with the hockey players of today. It was a different world then. And today we have increased the speed of the sport, but we've also increased the quality and the safety of the sport. We've brought through sponsorship money, a better class of horse into the industry. And that blossoms into better driving, better skills, better habits, better showmanship. So, I mean, we look at the guys today. Yeah, Kurt Benzmiller's been on a roll. Uh, your Uncle Kirk has been on a roll. Those kind of guys. Uh, a driver is only as good as the horses he puts in front of him. And it takes good horses to make a good driver. You take a good driver, and you know this. I know you've learned this from your grandpa in the last four years. When you were a kid, when I was a kid, give me Kurt Benzmiller's A-team. Oh, doggone right, they'll make us look good. But go yeah. take four out of that ten over there that have never been hooked together, and now they learn to drive. Let's see who can drive and who can't, you know. Yeah, exactly. Horses can make you look really good, and they can make you look really stupid. Yeah, yeah. What about, like, uh, you, you said Kurt, um, and something that always, uh, you know, plays in my mind is that 
how good is Kurt Benzmiller? Like, and, and I guess you're probably the perfect guy to ask about this. I mean, uh, and we're actually planning to have Kurt on uh, the show after uh, your episode there. Um, but like, just how good is he? Because he's won the Calgary, what is it, four times? He's won the world uh, just as many. Um, he's, I mean, a lot of guys haven't done that in an entire career in 30, 40 years. And Kurt's only, uh, I don't know how, how old Kurt is. I would guess around the 40 mark. But, um, you know, how good is he going to be? Like, is he going to be one of the best ever? Is he going to be the best ever? Is he going to be, you know, top five? Like, like where, where do you see him uh, finishing uh, if he continues where he's at? Kurt Benzmiller is a very good athlete and a very good driver. He knows how to handle horses. And the way I say that, and I've seen not only Kurt do it, but other guys, but twice this year, I've seen him once the horn blows in a storm that I thought this is going to be a wreck that won't even get out of the infield. But he, in this two seconds or three seconds it takes to get out of the infield, regrouped and got onto the track where, I mean, I'd have been all over the infield wiped out everybody's barrels. But he's that kind of a guy, and he's not alone in that department. I've seen other guys do it too. But Kurt has got an inherited talent from his dad and his grandpa. I didn't know either of his grandpas. I knew of them, but I didn't know them. But I've watched Buddy do the same thing, and they both got a talent to find the horses, and they've got a good selection of horses. But that's all very good, but you also have to get down when the horn blows know what you're doing. And Kurt is very talented on the lines. He is very smart on the racetrack, and you know what I'm speaking about, Dayton, when you make your barrel turn off of whatever barrel, whatever barrel, and then you look up and see where everybody is. The decision you make as a driver in the next eighth of a mile, when you get out of that second turn, will determine where you're going to be in the last eighth of a mile. Right. He has an uncanny ability to see where Vern is, where Kirk Sutherland is, and that's part of knowing your horsepower. And he knows what his horses can do if given the right opportunity. And it's up to him as a driver to give them that right opportunity on the track. And no two races are the same. No two races are the same ever. You might be hooked to the same three guys. You might be, you know, your A team on your long barrels, your good team on your short barrels, and a training team in the middle there somewhere. But this guy knows all of his horses and can react to any situation on the track. And that's the cool part about being where I watch the races from as opposed to where you guys watch them from the ground or on TV or whatever. Calgary especially. I'm looking down like you're in the press box of a hockey arena. And you can see the play developing before it happens. Yeah. And I'm sure a hockey scout up top or coach or whatever, not coach, but press guy up top in the hockey arena can see the winning goal develop at the opposition's net when they regain control of the puck and head down to the opposition's end. You can see, I have that advantage, and I think over years of experience, I have that ability. When those wagons make a barrel turn and get out, I'm thinking, it's easy for me to call now because I think I know who's going to win the race when they round the fourth corner, and yeah. especially them last four races with them top 12 guys. So yeah. Kurt has that uncanny ability and it's the same uncanny ability that Kelly Sutherland had, that Kirk Sutherland has, Vern Nolan has, the greats, Tommy Glass, probably right in there with your grandpa. 
I mean, Tom Glass would have won 12 world championships, but there was this damn feather on the track with him that wouldn't let him. Right. So, and I mean, he's a guy that was a master at that very thing. Selecting good horses, knowing when to drive them, know who your competition is, know your track conditions. There's so many things that come into play. But Kurt Benzmiller is definitely at the top of his game. One thing that me and Grandpa always talk about, uh, you know, when we're talking about other drivers and guys, and because and, we're always, you know, uh, you know, just talking about that type of thing and, and how guys are doing. And, and uh, I always watch uh, everybody because I'm trying to improve myself, right? Like I'm a young guy, so there's so many things going on. And Grandpa could tell me, you know, everything, uh, everything that, you know, he knows and stuff, but he'll tell you just the same that the sport's changing and stuff. So we're constantly analyzing um, you know, what the newer guys are doing, what the younger guys are doing and stuff like that. And one thing that I always felt and Grandpa, uh, you know, would reiterate is that uh, Kurt has a full package. There's a lot of guys that are, that are very, very skilled drivers, but they uh, might not be able to put the horses together. There's a lot of guys that are, can put the horse together, they can take them off the track, they can, um, you know, get them in shape better than anybody else, they can put them together, they can do everything. But when, you know, say the one right wheeler has a night off, they hit a barrel or whatever, you know what I mean? There's yes. there's a lot of guys that can throw 80-some percent of everything together, and they will win, they will be competitive. But one thing that I always thought that Kurt set Kurt apart is he just he just had everything. I mean, even yes. uh, he's a businessman as well. Like, he could, you know, set himself apart uh, sponsorship wise you can get more money out of guys you can do uh just a little bit of everything uh to a to a very very high level and uh, i just think that it's it's incredibly fun to watch and and uh and uh, i just thought that that was kind of something that set him apart as well oh absolutely and i think to be in that top third of where we are today you have to be like that it's no longer when i started out um, yeah, you have to have good horses, you have to be a good driver, you have to have a lot of luck. But in order to bring that all together, you have to be exactly what you're saying. You have to be a businessman, you have to be an excellent sponsor liaison, you have to be media ready and media smart. And in this day and age, media is hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not knocking the media, but you know what I'm talking about. And I have been over the years very careful because I learned a lesson a long time ago that you are going to be misquoted and you are going to be (laughs) I've done an interview and the guy is still in media although he's down in Toronto I have done an interview and next day read the story and thought were we on the same planet what are you talking about (laughs) you know and so I'm pretty careful that uh, when it comes to that but that's all part of of in Kurt's position and he is good at it and he you're going to get media attention at that level you're going to get media attention Dayton Sutherland at your level coming in and I know that you have had two very good teachers in your dad and your grandpa teaching you how to deal with that and right it's all part of it's all part of the game I mean how many hockey players have you seen score five goals in a game and win an award and put a microphone in their face and you think how did that guy live this long? <laughs> he can't put three words together. And I mean, that's just the way it is. He's got the full package and he's not alone. There's a few other guys too, but it's all part of being successful in this business. And as you well know, so much of this depends on different situations thrown at you unexpectedly at any given moment. You can have the best team in the world. 
you can have be on a roll. Look at Jason Glass in Calgary, headed for the final heat. One little slip up, one right lead horse that ducked. You wipe out both barrels, and you go from being the top of the pack to nobody wants to talk to you anymore because you're 36. You know, it can change that fast. It can change for the good that fast, and it can go backwards on you because there's so many different factors involved. Right from um, from the get go. So, in my opinion, and we kind of touched about it uh, throughout the interview here. You know, we talked about guys like Ralph Began and uh, and uh, you know the Dorchesters and further back, and we talked about Red Johnstone. Um, you know, guys more in the middle of the of the you know eras, and then we talked about guys that are recent. Um, I've kind of felt that in the last few years, uh, wagon well maybe not the last few years, but right up until maybe say 2015, wagon racing was. Uh, on a steady ramp upwards, and then it kind of uh, have, has went for a correction, um, you know, to the downside. And then uh, it seems like now, it's, it's especially this last year, uh, it's really, really been picking up again. So what I'm trying to ask is, uh, when do you think wagon racing as a sport was at its most competitive? Do you think it was uh, in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s? Like, uh, when do you think that... Um, there was the most amount of tough, tough wagons to beat. Oh boy. You know, big question. <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded one. The wagon business, um, it's always been about competition, um, safe competition, fair competition. I think we've, as a business unit, improved that end of wagon racing that, uh, <clears throat> You know, it's it's exciting, it's competitive, it's uh, a lot at stake. I mean, yeah, we're probably short on the money end compared to the investment of the wagon drivers. Yeah, this last three, four years has uh, seen a lot of positive changes in some of the younger guns coming into the game. Wagon racing was always competitive, but your grandpa made a, a huge uh, impact on that. I mean, how many times have you heard to say, I go to win every time? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. I go to win every time. And it's not a he just, it's not something he took lightly. Yeah. And I think a lot of the guys, Vern, Kurt, um, you know, the guys that are hot today, think about that. Don't just go out there. There will always be guys skating, and I'm not picking on any of the 36 wagon drivers. There will always be guys that go out there they run and they're glad to get it done incident free and make a run. And that's great. Wagon racing need those guys. There's that middle third that know what to do. They want to win, but for whatever reason, they're just in that middle of the pack and can't seem to get a break once in a while they do. And then there's that final third or maybe even quarter that will not settle for second place. They've got the Kelly mentality I got to go to win every time. And that will always be there. And it's in whatever sport. It's in every sport. But that top third of the guys, I think where we have the advantage in this era is that mentality is spreading now through the system of the tour and the way we've set things up that you'll find that mentality in heats one, two, and three. I don't want to be in heat one, two, and three forever. I want to be in heat five and six and eventually get to nine, ten, or eight, nine. Seven, seven, eight, nine, rather. And along comes Logan Gorse. 
Along comes Dustin Gorst. Along comes Dayton Sutherland. Along comes, you know, the guys that are knocking the door and putting. And I'm sure Kurt Benzmiller is looking back and thinking, ah, I just don't have Bernard Kirk to worry about anymore. Now I've got the next six or eight guys that are going to make me that much better because I have to be to survive. Right, right. Yeah, well, the reason, you know, I should have said it before, and, and I asked the question because Grandpa used to talk about, you know, when he was winning, say, in the 70s and stuff like that, or, um, you know, there was only four or five wagons that could win it. And, uh, and nowadays, or, or at least in, uh, you know, after the 2000s or, or whenever it was, you know, I, I get dates mixed up because I'm so young, but um, there was, you know, say 30 guys or 25 guys that could win it on any given night. And then it seemed like it, everything ramped up. And then all of a sudden guys like Rick Fraser, uh, Jerry Bremner, um, you know, there's a, there's a few very, very tough and prominent wagon drivers that kind of retired. And then it seemed to me like it dipped and now it's, it's picking back up because I just, I have so much fun watching all these guys, you know, compete like my dad and Kurt and Kirk and Vern and Logan. And, and uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and, and you could sit here all day um, going on and, and saying who could win this show, who could win the last show, who's going to get day money, you know, like, uh, like me 34th in the world and I can get day money. Uh, you know, on a track like this, if the conditions are right and if I use different horses and stuff like that. Like, it just seems so, so competitive. You just don't know what's going to happen. That's very true. And, I mean, looking back, we haven't even touched on George Norman. I mean, George right, Norman right, right. Would a lot of, won a lot of worlds without Kelly Sutherland. Kelly yeah. Sutherland would a lot, won a lot more without George Norman and Buddy Bensmiller and Tom Glass and Reg Johnstone. I don't know how many times Reg was the bridesmaid because Kelly was outrunning him. Yeah, and when you're good, you create your own good luck, and and your grandpa's a, an example of that. And yeah, the best thing that happened this summer, two good things have happened this summer, and your family's been involved in both of them. Mark Sutherland won the Pinocchio Stampede, and that's not an easy show to win. Mark needed that win. Chuck Wagon Racing needed Mark to win that. So did the right. Pinocchio Stampede. You know that kind of thing is good. What you're doing right now is good for the sport. Because it gets the older wagon fans off the thing, well, Kurt's going to win. Kirk Sutherland's going to win. Luke's going to win. Kelly's going to win. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard that. You know, it's not yeah. that way anymore. It's not that way anymore. Right, right. What about, um, like, say, Logan won Calgary this year. It's it's a fun to watch because, uh, you know, I don't think he was necessarily the favorite going in. He was definitely one of the tougher wagons. I mean, he's made it you know, a few years, uh, you know, in the past in the dash and he, he was budding, right? Like he was always close, um, you know, but then when you see him finally win the first one and he's a young guy and it's great to see and, and uh, it kind of, you know, propels him, you know, that much further in the sport and, and uh, you know, other guys that he looked up, he hasn't won. So, so that's good to see. Um, so that was a that was a, a memorable Calgary Stampede, uh, you know, in my mind. Was there any um, that you can think uh, when guys won Calgary that that really stuck out um, further than the rest? It was just more of a special moment. You know, yeah, probably. I mean, winning at that level, and especially in Logan's case, or some of the other guys that have won in the past. Uh, Hugh Sinclair, those kind of guys. It's one thing to withstand the pressure of that final weekend, and especially that final heat, because 
I don't think there's anybody except the guys that have been there can appreciate the fear factor, the pressure factor. Um, your horses can sense it. The outriding horses can sense the pressure that the outriders are going through. But when you come through that 10-day test and you come through that final heat, your confidence level on a scale of 1 to 10 has gone from 5 to 15. And that confidence, as in any sport, is, is a huge part of being successful in the future. Once you've done that and you've got that confidence level, like I know Logan has now, Curtis has on down through all the winners. I think to answer your question, and there I go getting wandering off again, you know, your grandpa dominated that Calgary Stampede for so many years. There was a lot of guys that would have won it had it not been for Kelly Sutherland. Um, Hugh Sinclair, those kind of guys. Troy Dorchester, Jason Glass, those guys are good wagon drivers with good backing um, as far as being brought up and educated in the sport. Um, Jerry Bremner and Jason Glass and Dallas Dorchester, all those guys, when they, when those guys, I think you're, uh, when did Kelly start winning Calgary in the mid seventies or something like he's just a kid. 74, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 74. And he went on to win and then Ralph and him went back and forth and then Buddy showed up. And, and I think to win the Calgary Stampede, when you've got that level of competition in those days was tough. Today, I think it's a lot tougher. Um, the barrel settings are easier. The track is probably nicer. Um, but the format is what's made it tougher now because you've only got eight days. You know, in the yeah. early days, how many times did Kelly Sutherland and Tom Glass hit a barrel on night one or two and come back to win the Calgary Stampede? You can't do that now. You hit a barrel on night one or two, you're not getting into – you might get into the semifinals, depending on how many other guys make mistakes. But it's, it's tougher now in the format. So, because somebody else has to screw up on the one or two much. barrel because they get to pick the one or two barrel if they're in the top four. Right. Pretty much. So, I mean, looking back over the years, there's been some outstanding guys that should have won it, but that's just the way it turned out. You can't – Logan Gorse wasn't a surprise. Maybe right. on night one he was. Yeah. By night seven or eight he wasn't. Right, yeah, yeah. None of those eight guys would have been a surprise to win the Calgary Stampede. But when you when you get to that level, you've got to have the horsepower. You've got to have luck. You've got to have the talent. But more than anything, you've got to be handled. You've got to be able to handle the mental pressure and be able to work through that. Your grandpa was a master at it. And if he was scared to death and nervous, it didn't show people would always say to me, I don't know, that Kelly Sutherland, he's so cocky. Well, you have to be. Yeah. If, you're, if you're hanging your head and scared to go out there, you're not going to win. Yeah. You yeah. walk into a business meeting with your head down and mumbling, you're not going to be the leader of that business meeting and get what you want. If you walk in there with your head up and walk in that doggone place like you own it, you're going to get what you want. Yeah. And if you pull out of that racetrack, whether you've got your team hooked or your team hooked, you better be confident because it, it goes, them horses can sense it. And he was a master at that. 
Did Dr. I answer the question or did I wander off again? <laughs> no, no, this, is, this has been really good. This has been really good. I got, I got kind of one more, and, and I don't know if you have anything on the top of your head, but um, after all the years, uh, after everything, what were some of the most enjoyable moments or parts uh, about your career? Oh, boy. You know, it's been so good to me. Uh, the Wagon family have been good to me. Calgary Stampede was my dream, and it's been very good to me. Getting up on that stage and presenting the Richard Cosgrave Award and the $100,000 Award is the highlight of my year. And when I can do it with guys like Logan and Shallon Gorst, it's amazing. Uh, you and I will do it soon. Right. But, you know, it's just been as an overall thing. I never thought that I would do this for a living. 30 years ago and now I am able to um, so I owe a lot of people in this sport for where I'm at today I my biggest fan and my biggest supporter and my biggest inspiration is my wife Kelly because she believes in what I do she loves what I do she loves this sport and supports me some days when I'm thinking, what am I doing driving 15 hours to go do this? And, you know, she's a huge backbone in for me, and I couldn't do it without her support. And she holds down the fort when I'm not there, and when she's with me, it's it just makes my show in a better day. I find what drives me beyond her support is guys like you, changes in the sport, um, people coming into the sport. I love to look up and see the stands full and crowds cheering from heats one to nine. So for me, it's like I said, at the onset, every race, I have the same excitement level for race one as I do for heat nine. I have the same excitement level to me in a small show in rural Alberta as I do with 20,000 people at the Calgary Stampede. I am very fortunate to be where I'm at because as a kid, I dreamed of doing this and I've been able to do it for 34 years and I want to do it for another 30 years. If Kelly has to push me up the ramp at Calgary in a wheelchair, Sophie has to give me a microphone and let me watch, yeah. let me watch the wagon races. For sure. You kind of touched on it there, but you said Calgary was a dream of yours. Um, I don't know if you've heard our intro or extra, but we uh, actually have um, clips of Joe Carberry announcing the Chuck Wagon races in our intro and ex extra. Um, what was it like taking over from him? Um, I, I did some research before we uh, talked to you today, and I found some articles that were done back in uh, your right around 2008-2009 of him handing you that microphone. Um, so what was that like? And, like, did he give you any tips, or did he talk to you um, kind of about uh, taking over at all? It, it was a very special moment for me. I was intimidated to a degree because, you know, I had so many people say, you got big boots to fill, and you bet I do. And I said at the time, I said, you will never replace the voice, ever. And I hope to replace the position with what I do. I don't want to be like Joe Carberry. I don't want the next guy to be like me, although there's only so many ways you can call it Chuck Wagon Race for starters but at the time I was you always get that 
feeling like you probably do, Dayton. I'm in over my head here. What am I doing with this group of guys? But it's back to that confidence thing again. I knew because at the time when I took over from Joe in 2009, I'd already been doing it for 25 or 30 years. So it wasn't something that I had to learn over. I, to me, the intimidating part was going up into his office, so to speak, walking into his building and taking over, knowing that everybody that was listening around the world is going to say, this is the guy that replaced Joe. He'll never be a Joe Carberry. Don't matter. I'm going to be a Les McIntyre, and I'm going to take on, carry on from there. But at the time, I was so humbled and honored to be able to do what Joe did and to, when you said that microphone, when he passed me the microphone, for me, that was a very emotional moment and a very special moment. I have that. My wife, Kelly, has put together a a, a book of all that, you know, the progression of this, the whole deal, and it was amazing. Um, Joe never really gave me any tips. I learned a lot from Joe by listening to Joe and being careful not to copy Joe and being careful not to sound like Joe. And I probably do at times just from whatever, but it's uh, it's been a great 11 years. I think this is my 11th year at Calgary. And I still walk into that eye in the sky thinking I'm still going into Joe's office. This isn't my office yet. I haven't earned it. So I've still got that mindset. I've got to be careful not to let it intimidate me because I want the people to experience what I do and not compare it to what, what Joe did was amazing. Will never be anything less than amazing. Um, to do it for the 45 years that he did it, I'd have to be what, 112 when I quit. <laughs> so it's just been a huge honor and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity. Les, I think uh, we were talking about guys, you know, who transcended the sport, uh, you know, and, and, and other sports too, but I, I don't think uh, maybe you give yourself enough credit um, you know, for, for transcending the sport, uh, you know, and doing what you can, because, um, you know, you've been the announcer and, and in my mind, um, you are the announcer, you know what I mean? Like, uh, for, for my generation of, of, uh, kids and, uh, wagon kids and wagon people and outriders and stuff like that, you know, in, in 2009, we were all pretty young still. So when I think of the Calgary Stampede, uh, you know, and forgive me for being so ignorant, but I don't hear Joe Carberry's voice because I wasn't paying attention then. I wasn't around then. You know what I mean? I think of Les McIntyre's voice. So I think you are, you know, kind of the, um, you are now the, the voice of, of our generation. I know Joe was uh, so spectacular and loved by so many people, but um, I also think that, that uh, you know, you've done a spectacular job for the sport and, and getting people into it. And, and, uh, and man, I'll say it again, like when you get excited, you know, up in the box and I hear you, you know, changes in your voice and stuff like that, it gets me excited. And I, I know what's going to happen. You know, I've watched the, the wagon races and stuff, but it, it's just so fun and uh and uh, it's it's uh, it's great to it's great to hear your voice, you know, calling the races. We were up in the or I was up, sorry, in the Western Chuck Wagon Association this year, and uh, the announcer was it was a new guy actually, Chris, and and he did a great job. But um, it's just never the same if if Les McIntyre isn't isn't calling your race, you know. Well, thanks, Dayton. I appreciate that, and that I mean that's the kind of things that give me confidence. Although sometimes I'm probably overconfident, 
But that's the thing I forget is that I forget I've been doing it this long for one thing. And right. I forget that, yeah, there's a whole bunch of young guys out there that probably didn't know Joe or some of the old guys that used to do the rural shows. So I appreciate that, and I I will use that to make myself better. Because, and my wife Kelly will tell you, when I leave a show and we're driving home, I think, darn, why didn't I do it this way? Why didn't I do it? I'm my own worst critic, and I think in order to be – good at something or the best you can be at something you have to always be improving but she is like you she always says don't be so hard on yourself you did a great job yada 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 so you're right there's a fine line between being fanatical about it and taking it too seriously and i think in the last year or so as far as calgary's concerned i've probably relaxed more i'm kind of a comedian at heart and i've kind of tried to keep a little humor in some things without being it, uh, you know, embarrassing somebody or making it somebody to point at my humor. But I'm a lot more relaxed in Calgary now than I was four or five years ago. Um, I think I've come to a point where I could do my own thing without thinking, would Joe approve of this? Does Calgary approve of this? Does Calgary and all these 20,000 people below me still compare me to Joe or are they going to let me do my own thing? So to hear you say that is great because I forget that there are you young guys that are, you know, have been listening to me for 34 years or how yeah. long you've been alive. So I kind of, yeah, I'm glad you put that in perspective because that's, that's true. And I mean, that, that gives me incentive to get better because you guys today are exposed to some of the, I mean, the exposure that you've got to media and what's going on in the world is 20 fold compared to when I was your age. So you've got a lot more to compare to, as far as hockey announcers, sports announcers, whatever. Right. So if I can get myself up to the level of the Ron McLean's and the Don Sherry's and the hockey announcers and those kind of guys, that's good because the sport of chuck wagon racing deserves that. Absolutely. I need to lead the charge in promoting chuck wagon races. I need to make every one of them sponsors feel that, wow, I got my money's worth. I need right. to make every guy that pulls onto that track from – the guy on the four barrel in the first heat to the guy that's coming across for the 100,000 feel great about themselves and what they do. I want all 36 guys to win the Calgary Stampede, but that's not going to happen. Right. So I have the same respect for the guys in the first heat as I do in the last heat. And I want to make them as important and their sponsor as important as the guy that's in the $100,000 dash. And to me, that's the way it should be. I, that's just my line of thinking anyway when you i i got the pleasure of being in strathmore and when you were announcing in strathmore um there's a few things that always stick out in my mind when it comes to you uh, one is south bound and down and comments <laughs> like that or quiet on the set uh but the the fact that you announced every outrider along with the drivers i really found that cool and then of course at the end of the races you uh told the outriders to hit the showers and daughters uh lock up, daughters. <laughs> lock up your daughters and sometimes i think you know am i going to offend somebody by doing this by giving them the impression these outriders a bunch of redneck <laughs> party and dudes but which is not the truth but you know it's i guess it's, it's my way of getting a laugh out of everybody but um i know in the in the early days when when your dad was out riding dayton and and even when your grandpa was out riding nobody knew their names Nobody yeah. cared, you know, there was four of them, but I find it important um, 
because there's mamas and grandmas and neighbors and relatives out there that, hey, Satan's out riding the seat. So that's cool. They need to know that. Right, right, for sure. And they and they are part of the teams and they are part of the sport. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of talent goes into it. We were just talking about that at the last episode. Um, we're talking about guys like Casey and Rory, and there's so many good ones, and there's good ones coming up. And 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 now, um, you know, there are a few guys that'll that'll kind of do both. But um, you can't you can't. Uh, it's very very tough story to learn both at the same time, driving and out riding. Like uh, out riding is definitely a profession of its own, in my opinion. I agree 100, percent and I admire guys like you and Mike Vegan and Chance Slab that could do that. Uh, and, you know, going back over the years, uh, Ross Nelson and Jerry Bremner and those guys. But I think it's no different than I compare it to rodeo. Yeah, you can ride bronks and ride bulls. But if you're going to win a world championship, you're going to do one or the other. Yeah. And I know that it takes money to go down the road and your outriding money helps your operation on the wagon end of it and vice versa. So, and it's good that you can can do that i physically i don't know how you guys can do it because when i see you guys jumping out of a wagon and then into a outright group and yeah I, I guess i forget what it was like to be 20 <laughs> right and that was part two of our interview with les mcintyre thank you again to les for coming on uh he is such an incredible person to talk to uh if you were at century downs you uh would have heard just how great of an announcer he is actually at century downs um kurt's horse went down uh was it the final night or the second night dayton do you remember no it was yeah i do remember because it's the final night just before he won the world championship and uh yeah okay you're right yeah okay uh, yeah, it was, like it was, it was, a, it was like oddly enough, somebody said that it wasn't odds a horse does that, um, you know, for the Calgary Stampede Championship race this year, and then for the World Championship race this year, same thing. A horse was going a fifth for some reason, whatever it be, the the anxiety in the crowd or, or the tensions in the lines or whatever it is, right? Old broke horse. Um, does something like that 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 uh, kicks so um like i said earlier in the podcast uh, horses read emotions and uh i guess that's just some chuck wagon proof that uh, um yeah that, that they do do that yeah but my what, what what i found interesting was how less dealt with it less deals with these situations and like i remember this part is he goes that pony's more embarrassed than anybody else and uh he he just he has this way about him of how he deals with those situations and uh even like how he plays with kind of Kurt while he's in that situation and he's like, Well, the cowboy that's dealing with this is the coolest one down there and it's like, you know, that's kinda true. Like it's just funny how he deals with those situations and almost like he almost puts a trance on the crowd, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, like like Les said in the interview, he said that uh, I, can't, I don't know if it's part one or part two. Um, part one. But he said it was part. Yeah, well, he said he said that um, he's got to announce like it's his first, like it's everybody's first time um, hearing a chuck wagon race or or something to that effect. He, like he has to announce like it's everybody's first time being there, and that's kind of what he's doing in that um, scenario. In my opinion, is like. He's kind of giving these people um, some friendly examples, like very, very friendly examples um, of what's actually happening in the horse. 
Um, you know, so that's that's a reason why Les is so good because he, he um, makes it so relatable to somebody that uh, that you know obviously doesn't doesn't know what exactly is going on. Um, also, that's in Calgary. Keep in mind. So obviously, there's been a lot of um, flack in Calgary and uh, and negative media. So um, naturally, that's going to be on on people's minds, especially if they don't know a lot about chocolate lighting races, if it is their first time and then they see something like that happen, the horse goes down. Well, what do you think their first thought is? I mean, I, I knew the outfit or, or, or at least I, I could recognize a couple horses. I knew kind of what was going on. I knew there was nothing wrong with that horse when I was down there watching it. Um, the guy next to me knew it. Um, the guy behind me knew it. A lot of the people <laughs> that had been around the wagons knew that, that this was um, more of like an anxiety thing for a horse. Um, or, or, you know, it's, it's kind of like another one that last always said is like a false start, um, for, a, uh, offensive lineman in a, in a football game, you know, they, they almost get just too excited, um, and they kind of overextend themselves or react too quickly or, or whatever, or, um, you know, kind of have this uh, nervous energy about them. And, uh, that's kind of how, um, the very, very odd time an old horse will show it in a, in a high stakes race. Um, and, and like I said, that happened, uh, that's the second time that happened this year. Um, so yeah, no, Les did, Les did a great job and, uh, that's obviously, you know, why he's the best. Uh, he explains those things. He keeps everybody calm. And then, uh, he kind of talks the crowd through it of, of, you know, what's happening and stuff like that. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it creates a very friendly environment for, you know, the, the new or old or average or whatever viewer, um, of the Jock Wagon race. And, uh, I, I guess that's kind of our wrap up of Century Downs for right now. Um, we're, we're hoping to uh, get the man himself on uh, at some point in time uh, so he can tell us what it was like from the box when that horse went uh, and decided to get the jitters. Yeah, no, Kurt's going to come on for sure. I think I said that before. Um, the other thing is, I think, I can't remember if we said it last podcast or if it's the one that we deleted um, with the audio issues, but um, we're going to be doing uh, bi-weekly uh, now that the season's over, um, just because not as much content to cover. Um, I'm going to be working nonstop. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you'll be incredibly busy too, Cass. Um, you know, playtime's over. It's, it's back to the real world, so... Um, and, and guys will be busier too and less going on, like I said, some more just kind of catching up with off seasons, how their seasons went, that type of thing. Um, so we are going to get Kurt on. He's down in the States right now. I'm going to be down there. Um, obviously not in the same state, but, uh, you know, in a couple of days. So, uh, we're going to book that interview, uh, relatively soon. And then when are we looking to have that episode out by cast? Uh, so we're going to do bi-weekly, so that means uh, this episode is being released the first Friday of September, um, so the third Friday of September, as long as everything goes to plan, is when we're going to get that next episode out, and that's kind of going to be how it goes, is it's going to be every other Friday is when we're going to get these episodes out, just to keep with our regular uh, Friday release date, and also it's just going to be so... uh, you guys can uh, keep talking about uh, about trucks and also learn some more stuff. Uh, Dayton wants to bring on a vet. Um, 
I spoke with Kaylee Fraser, and uh, she's going to actually kind of talk us through equine massage therapy, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about it, but she said she's willing to teach us. So that's something I'm kind of interested in. And then uh, we're going to kind of go from there. But we do have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, if you entered into either of our contests we've had, uh, thank you so much for that. They were fun. I enjoyed doing them. Uh, Dayton really got to listen to me enjoy doing them as I texted him with everything <laughs> yeah I literally did like almost nothing for those uh, I, I literally stood there and and took a picture with the hat like and uh, yeah it should probably should have been you I didn't do a single thing I don't think for those I can't remember but um yeah so but those are good um you know we appreciate the feedback that's for sure and uh we do have some exciting things happening uh we're partnering with a uh, local charity in Calgary uh called Parachutes for Pets um they are they they help uh people with their pets who have are in low income situations uh their pets need vet care or they need essential grooming aka getting rid of mats or you know just nails trim just making it so that they're healthy um uh, there will be more information uh tweeted out here but we're partnering with them for a calendar um, the calendar is going to be truck wagon drivers, outriders with their pets. I'm trying to get Dayton to take a picture with his dog, Maria. Uh, we'll see if I actually get that. Very unlikely because neither of us like pictures, but if it's for a good cause, who knows what could happen. Hey, hey, I know that's a lie. Maria takes pictures for me. So, I mean. Yeah, it could just be me. I guess we'll never know. Maybe, maybe we'll never know. Um so we're going to try to get those. Uh, that should be out by the beginning of November. Also, uh, October is banquet season. So uh, there will be the CPCA banquet, the WPCA banquet. Um, does the WCA have a banquet, Jason? Um, they haven't uh, in the last few years, but I believe they are having a banquet this year. So um, I'm honestly not sure if I'll be attending either the WPCA or the WCA, but um, might be booking some content there too. So uh, that's exciting. Stay tuned. Yeah, uh, we're going to try to see if we can get some people together there. And uh, I guess that's kind of it. Uh, Dayton is going to try to find uh, some non-troubled horses, I guess, uh, for the rest of his shopping trip. Yeah, um, we'll keep you updated on what I buy, who I buy. Um, that might be kind of fun. Like, say, in a year's time, we're talking about a horse that, uh, you know, I'm going to go hopefully buy tomorrow morning. Um, fingers crossed. There's a couple other guys around. Logan Gorse and Gary Gorse were there today. Um, walked around the barns with them and, and uh, kind of talked to him. Actually, I walked around with Gary most of the time um, and kind of got his... Uh, his, uh, you know, insight on, on what he looks for horses and stuff. So so that's cool. I like talking to those old guys and, and uh, figuring out what worked for them for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. So, um, yeah, no, walk around with those guys and then maybe we can give you some updates. There's some pretty cool things. I was just talking to a guy tonight. Um, I'll be down in the States next week. We'll actually be at a chuck wagon event um, down there. Uh, you know, they race, a, race a, an association that's probably lower than the Westerns. Um, but they're still uh, big wagons. So for those of you who don't know, there's actually um, four chuck wagon associations. Um, this one's actually folding. Um, this is the last weekend ever. So that's kind of why we're going down. We knew some friends um, that were there, uh, you know, that come and work for us and, and helped us out um, this summer. 
so uh, we're going to go down there and support them. And uh, I might even actually get in a race out riding. So I don't know. Um, apparently a guy didn't show up and I'm going to be there this weekend. And the one guy asked me, Colton, uh, you know, if I want to jump in a race. So I don't know. I might keep you guys updated on what this association is like. It's super, super different from, from what we're accustomed to. But uh, who knows? Could be fun, right? That that would be really interesting. And I mean, uh, uh, people would know Tyler because we had him in uh, our videos from Century. Uh, Tyler was the shorter gentleman who uh, was washing the horses and tacking them and basically the only other guy in the videos except for Mark and Dayton. So I guess that's the best way to explain who Tyler is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tyler's an, Tyler's an outrider uh, in that association too. So that's actually one of the guys I'm going to visiting. And then uh, um, by the time this airs, hopefully I'll already have all the horses bought. But uh, I'm actually going to go try and uh, buy a bunch of those horses down there. And then um, – well, that's the plan. Dad's got a bunch of them bought, and I'm going to have some more bought uh, by the weekend. And we're going to try and, you know, buy those horses and see if we can't compete with them uh, in the big leagues. You know, maybe there's a couple um, prospects that have been landlocked there, fingers crossed, um, that uh, that will do us. So, anyway, that's what we got planned for the future. That's kind of what we got planned for um, next week. That's what I'll be up to. Um, yeah, that's about it. What do you think? I do. I mean, I kind of am jealous. I'd love to come with you guys, but I mean, I'm in Calgary doing the rest of it, so I guess that's kind of where I need to be. Dayton deals with the horses. I deal with everything else. <laughs> that's right. I like it that way personally, but maybe you'll have to chip in more. I, I mean, I learned how to tack the horses in the past month, just saying. So I got to learn something, something on the tack side? I don't know. I, I mean, I... I, I for people who want a good laugh at Century Downs, Dayton was out riding, and I decided to help, so I took Bogart for a walk. Bogart took you for a walk. No, he didn't. I took Bogart for a walk. Anyways, I walked back into the barn, and Dayton has this look of, oh, God, on his face. And he's like, so you're walking horses now. Okay. And just walks away. Do you want Honestly, to tell you like your initial thought on that one? Well, honestly, like, I just, I don't know what, like, Sierra, she's with me all year there, so um, she just kind of runs a lot of stuff, like, in the barns, especially, like, when I'm gone um, out riding and stuff, like, that's the one downfall, you make so much money, you, you learn so much um, out riding, it helps your career, but the one downfall is you can't attention to your horses after the fact which is some of the most important times that you should be paying attention to horses so long story short like i don't really know what's going on in my barn like after races i come back every night like two hours after like okay what happened you know did did anyone clip their ankles running did and you everybody come back you know um sick after the races did they feel good was everybody drinking lots of water is anyone going to be dehydrated tomorrow like all these things you know what i mean and uh yeah so that's just like another one it's like oh so Cass uh walks horses now is that you know what i mean like uh, one of those <laughs> things right but, cool don't even have control of my own barn you know but that's kind of what happens when you're when you're young broke and and uh trying to trying to break into the big leagues so you're telling me i gave you a slight heart attack that day I wouldn't say a slight heart attack, but um, it's just a bit, a bit of a surprise, you know. But now you trust me with the horses, so I, I would like to point out it was a good thing for us. Yeah, you and Bogart are good too, and and uh, probably probably um, probably uh, helps out. You know, we always always know we got a we got a um, 
fill in for a rainy day if I, if I ever need some barn help, you know. Exactly. And, I mean, you trusted me as Kodiak when you had to wrap his ankle. So that, that's a pretty big step there. Yeah, yeah. Kodiak's one of the tougher ones to handle in the barn. So that's for sure. But that's what we've been up to. Um, and uh, we'll look forward to making that interview with uh, with Kurt. And uh, we'll keep you posted on uh, what horses are joining the team uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, if you want to keep listening to us on all things truck wagon racing, uh Dayton with the tech side and the actual knowledge and me with my kind of insights uh, you can subscribe of course subscribing is also always great for us uh, follow us on Instagram Facebook and Twitter I got to do better at the Twitter that's one that I've been down falling on uh, and all that is after the ninth and if you have questions send them to us our email is after the ninth questions at gmail.com and that is it for week five here's the wire But that's a day in the country